Welcome to Light Warrior Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one bestseller, Guide to Healing Chronic Pain. It's my goal to inspire and empower you to manifest the life of your dreams, whether that's radiant health, loving relationships, or simply peace of mind. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you happen to be a light warrior, sensitive soul, highly sensitive person like I am, we have a gift for you. It's the Sensitive Soul Empowerment Guide. And you can get that free at sensitivesoulguide.com. And it'll help you with three ways to increase uh, positivity, uh, personal empowerment, and just feeling good about yourself um, so you can manifest the life that you really want. So again, that's sensitivesoulguide.com. Today with me I have somebody that I've known for quite a while now, Johanna Mezer. She is a, a mom and also uh, one of my former patients and clients. And what I really, one of the reasons I really wanted Johanna to be on this show today is because of some of the challenges that my tribe is going through. I have a lot of men and women on a tribe, a lot of women, grandmothers, mothers, who have children who are highly sensitive souls. Um, some are uh, sensitive in terms of, you know, they're sensitive to energies around them, like electromagnetic radiation. Some are sensitive to foods and toxins. Some are sensitive to um, other people's stuff, like emotions. And for my tribe, I mean, some of them know these terminologies. Like, some of them know that their child is like a star seed, for example, that, you know, they don't come from here. They actually come from other planets and their soul is here on earth and these folks have specific challenges now it's one thing for my tribe members who are you know in their 30s 40s 50s 60s etc to get a handle on it but a whole other thing for their children because our society is set up in such a way that it doesn't really support highly sensitive people and it doesn't support children and so Johanna is someone that I've known for many years who has done an amazing journey herself, just, you know, in terms of self-healing, uh, but also a real mom with real challenges. And I asked Johanna if she would be willing to come on the show today so she would share with us what she's learned about parenting a highly sensitive person. So without further ado, hi, Johanna. Hi, Karen. Hi, so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. I'm super excited to interview you today. Oh, I'm happy to share. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, tell us a little bit about your story. I know you've, you've written a couple books. We'll talk about that a little later. And it sounds like they came from your own personal experience. So maybe you can share a little bit about how you kind of got into this wellness healing space. Well, um, my son is... I, I think what you would call a star seed, and um, I think it's—I I think I noticed when he was about eight um, that he was uh, seeing things that other people don't see. And I, I had read a long time ago in a book by uh, Joseph Chilton Pierce called *The Magical Child* that that children will like point at things that you can't see. Um, because they see things, you know, outside the spectrum of what we would call the consensual reality. And, um, but if that's not validated, it's so important to them to interact with their parents that if those things aren't validated, they don't focus on them and they lose that ability. So um, the things that Cody um, oh, my son, uh, said that he was um, – experiencing I didn't have those experiences myself but I tried to find um, other people who could validate or discuss that with him and I never um, said that his experiences weren't real and mm. um, that he shouldn't be having them or that they were a sign of anything wrong with him um, so along the lines I've had a lot of help with that and you know it's also been a challenge because it's uncomfortable for someone to, to see and experience things that other people don't, to feel different in that way. And, um, you know, you, if you see something that someone else doesn't, you're like mentally ill or you're hallucinating or, or right, all these labels. Like that. Yeah. And, and um, so it's really easy to, turn somebody over to the mental health system to be fixed, to become more normal. And to me, that would be, you know, denying the gift. So that, so that 
basically the journey trying to uh, run interference so that he could realize his potential. Wow, yeah. And, and I'm imagining that, you know, he's a young child, he's seeing things that, you know, you can't see at that time. And um, what was, I'm just curious, what was the reaction of your son's father to all of that? Just curious. Well, um, he was basically in denial of that kind of stuff. I think he has his own gifts that he chose not to develop. Okay. Um, where I've always been more interested in those things but didn't have the gifts. Um, so, um, but at the time this stuff came up, we were already split up. So, um, so he would discuss those things with me and not mention them to his father. Oh, uh, okay. So do you think he just learned to do that or did you guide him no, to yeah, do that? He, he would try to discuss it with his father and his father didn't want to hear about it. So he oh, learned yeah. not to do that. Okay. Well, I think it's so um, so amazing that he was your son was able to trust that he could share those things with you. I mean, that is that's amazing. Well, he was very small. You know, um, he we, we were actually at this um, this fire circle thing at a, a wilderness camp that I was staff at, and um, my children had the run of the place. Um, that was kind of my philosophy, to provide a rich environment. But as a person who wasn't wealthy, to do that, I would have to work there, and then they could be staff kids. Um, so there was this, um, you know, circle where people were doing, like, um, animal dances and things, kind of Native American-inspired stuff, primitive skills. And... Um, and because of the Native American inspiration, there was the, you know, people would talk about the great spirit. And so uh, one day he, he said, I saw the great spirit. He was dressed in red and dancing in the fire. Wow. And, and I, so I asked some, some questions. And then um, I said, well, um, I looked in some books, you know, cause about uh, nature spirits and elementals and things like that, and I um, saw, I saw a kind of a line drawing of Pan, and I said, does it look like this? You know, and he's like, yeah, kind of like this. I said, okay, well, I think that's what this is. You know, this is what I've heard, maybe. And then there was another time, it was so cute, <laughs> um, where he said, I saw the great spirit and his wife. Or the great spirit and her husband. So what he had seen was was two um, in, in sort of a Native American dress, but some other people um, involved with that property had also seen some like caretaker spirits that were still connected to that land. So again, it was validated. Nice. That is super interesting. Oh my god! I gosh. thought it was so cute. And he said they were dressed in like buckskins, but kind of rainbow colored. That's what I remember. Oh my gosh, my gosh, that's amazing. Well, because it's validated, you know, um, he, you know, it was a kind of a safe environment anyway because of, you know, what it was, these wilderness camps and stuff like that, you know, like woo-woo people. Right. <laughs> but then, um, you know, to, to get that response that, well, okay, I don't know what that is, but let's see if we can find more information. And and then I, I asked him, had he seen things before? <clears throat> and he's about eight years old at this point. <clears throat> but he said um, that he'd been walking a long time, one time while he was maybe five or six, and he saw a little girl sitting like by the, um, the edge of a sidewalk or something, and he reached out his hand to give her a hand up, and his hand went right through her. And so he just thought, oh, I'm hallucinating. And then didn't really think too much more about it. But then after that, you know, then if something came up, sometimes he'd tell me about it, and I would try to give him points of reference. Mm. But also try not to get in his way. 
Right, right. No, totally. And and I know when when my you know my clients, my parents have had asked, what do I do? You know, my three year old is seeing. I, I think it's a ghost. You know, and and they start getting slightly freaked. <laughs> You know, because they don't know what to do, and I said, "Well, the best thing you can do is ask questions," and that's exactly, really, what you, you're you're demonstrating in real life here is that you were asking questions, like you were being curious. You weren't saying, "Oh, it's not there," or "Stop thinking of it," or or even trying to distract them from thinking of it. You were like genuinely curious, and I think that is so, um, so valuable, you know, in the parent-child relationship, because like like you said before. Uh, it's so common, as you know, that these children lose their spiritual gifts because it's not validated. They think there's something wrong with them. They think that they shouldn't have it. Um, and then they have to then, you know, go to the 30s and 40s and 50s and to try to reactivate what was already there before, which is a longer process, at least yeah. in my experience. I, I think one of the things that set me up for that is because I think as a child, I used to be able to see elementals, and I'm not sure about that. The thing that I remember is that at, at one point, I went back to some familiar places and they looked different, like the shine was gone. Mm. And, and it felt a tremendous sense of loss. And I didn't know what that was, but, but I remembered the sense of loss so that there, I had an ability to see something that I no longer had. So... I have no idea why that happened in my case, but um, but that also kind of predisposed me to um, validate whatever he had. Right. Now, how did you know to do that? I mean, how, how did you know to, to validate? Because that's not how generally we're raised. Well, because I had read that book by Joseph Chilton Pierce called The Magical okay. Child. And, and where he mentioned that, there was also like this other advice, which was like to, before your child is born, if you pick a specific song and just sing it to them, then um, after they're born, if you sing the same song, they can connect a memory pre-womb to after birth. Okay. So, you know, so his song was Sweet Baby James. Ah. <laughs> so, you know, and then if they were upset, like in the car seat or something, crying, I'd sing that song. You know, it would be like to, as a soothing thing. So those are the two main pieces of advice I got for that from that book. So I, that's what I did. Okay, okay. Oh, that's really cool. That's great. Uh, and uh, has your son remembered, like when he was, say, you know, age 9, 10, 11, or even as a teenager, um, did he remember what he had seen in the past, like when he was really young? Yeah, he, I don't think he's ever forgotten it, but we would also talk about it at times, so. Mm, right, so but there was never this memory lapse that so many people go through. Well, maybe. I, oh, well, I don't, I don't know how much he remembered, but he would also say certain things like, when I used to be a grown-up. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I did at that point. I didn't like really question because he was quite small then. With children, you kind of don't know what they're saying. Um, but, but it makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, like other lives, you know, other incarnations. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Oh, that's that's really interesting. Um, so one of the things I notice is that um, highly sensitive children, as they get into that, uh, you know, teenage. Um, especially if they're going to, you know, regular schools and being exposed to other teenagers and things like that, that, that it can be really challenging as far as peer pressure, what teachers tell them. There's this whole, unfortunately, educational indoctrination. Um, how did you guys do through that? Like, how did you handle that? How did he handle that? Just curious. Yeah. Um, well, he did go to public school. Um, and... There was another part of that, which was he was dyslexic. Yeah, that's pretty common. Um, yeah. So um, actually to, to address that, eventually I found this thing um, for, for brain entrainment. Um, it was a device called a neurophone by this inventor, Patrick Flanagan, that this other person that I had met had used and cured dyslexia. And I heard him talking about it, and I perked up. And he just invited us over to try it. And then after listening to this reading with this thing on for like 20 minutes, um, or maybe he was just listening to it, um, Cody, it's like bone conduction 
things with alpha yep. brainwave entrainment. Um, he found that his dyslexia was was gone, you know, that he could read better. And, and that had been a really um, sore part for him, another way of feeling different, like maybe I'm stupid. Mm, right. You no. Know, no matter how much you reassure them that, that, right. that you know, difference is hard. Um, but so that got better. And then um, eventually um, it came up again. But we use it again, and then it, it stayed. You know, he can read fine, and there's no wow. No, you know, so, so and now you know Jeffrey Thompson has all these um, things, and it isn't you know bone conduction, but it's the same kind of thing. You could read um, listening with with those headphones on with this you know Jeffrey Thompson's Alpha or whatever, and um, it might have the same effect, but I don't know because I, I haven't had a reason to try it. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's kind. Of, that's kind of exciting. So, how how did you handle as a, as a parent? How did you handle like, um, how do I say this? Like the whole teenage, you know, drug, sex, and rock and roll, like that. <laughs> you know, that whole phase, which I think for many many parents, even without a highly sensitive child, have great challenges with. Yeah. Well, um, because he was bouncing back and forth. Uh, between um, when he was living with me in an environment where that stuff was not available to when he was living with his dad in a town where that stuff was available, um, there was experimentation, but I was not involved with it. Mm. So, um, but then there were also, you know, like other things that were, um, you know, I think he was, you know, self-medicating, not, well, a couple of things. I think he was self-medicating one thing, insomnia, that I think is pretty common um, for uh, starseeds, at least so I've heard. And um, and then another thing that was um, troubling to him was hearing voices. It was like he had this radio station in his head all the time. And eventually, you know, I just we keep reading stuff and trying to learn things, and um, eventually, for my own reasons, because I was trying to cure myself from Lyme disease, I quit eating wheat. Mm. You know, went on a kind of a gluten-free uh, thing. And so then when he came back into my orbit, I already had everything in place to be gluten-free. It already worked out all the gluten-free food. It wasn't much of a lifestyle change because I had all the substitutes and stuff. And, and that was a, a huge difference. So eventually, you know, and he would also have, like, mood swings. You know, he, like, he'd be really angry for no reason. But he knew enough about himself to know that there was no cause, you know, some emotional intelligence there. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you'd just be walking along and you'd just say, I'm so mad I could kick a puppy, you know. <laughs> like, I mean, he never did, but that's just a measure of what he was like. And I'm kind of sensitive to that, and I would just feel it. I was, Really, but so but we found that there were some triggers like gluten and sugar. Mm. Those were two things that would make that thing um, be something that could come and go. But if he kept those things out of his diet for about three weeks, mm -hmm. he'd be through it again. So we learned what the lag time was, and it seemed to be about three weeks. Mm, that's interesting. I know when um, one of my nephews came to visit us and uh, he had very challenging uh, childhood and mom was into sex, drugs, and rock and roll, <laughs> um, that, um, you know, had I had we, I mean, I really wanted to adopt him at age seven, but I mean, that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> but so we got him at age 12 and, and he would go through these mood fluctuations and um, the violent video games did not help. Um, and we noticed that sugar and if he, we did like gluten-free pasta and stuff, but just that carb load, I could definitely tell a difference. He would just like switch on a dime. It would be like this, you know, mild-mannered kid one minute and then the next minute like this raging, you know, obstinate person. And the thing was, it's like, I'm not his mom, right? So that was his defense. You're not my mom. And, and that was really tough because I wanted what was best for him. But I totally get that 
yeah, the, our environment. They're so sensitive. These these kids are so sensitive to their environment. I'm sure with with the whole weed thing, there's like there's that Roundup, right? There's the GMO, there's yeah. the glyphosate. They they actually you know um, the little gliadin protein molecules go into the brain and could inflame the brain or cause an addictive personality. There's so many different things in our environment that make it worse. But I think it's really cool that you guys were able to kind of figure that out um, to at least remedy it. I'm not sure what would happen when he would move you know, go back to dad's house? Would they go well, gluten-free or? Well, he, I mean, I think, I mean, yes. So sometimes he would be, sometimes he wouldn't be. But part of the thing was that he learned that he could control it. Mm. So if it happened, you know, he would know all I have to do, you know, if it's worth it to me, is be strict with my diet for three weeks and it'll tone down again because mm. it's really overwhelming if you're just tired of it and there's no end in sight right you know? right but, but if you know that if you're willing to you can control it that changes a lot i think mm-hmm yeah totally um well the other challenge that parents go through and um and i know you know you have to some degree is that no matter how hard we work at doing what's best for our child sometimes they're not necessarily grateful for it or not necessarily at that space where um they're necessarily willing to take full responsibility for it or even to necessarily thank you for it so just like how do how do you as a parent handle that because that that age group you know the teenager early 20s but it, it can be really tough because they're often especially as a guy like guys generally identify with the male parent and that family and so there's a time where they have to separate from the female and even though you might be his best advocate there could be that separation, and, and I'm, I'm imagining that to be almost heartbreaking. I don't know. Just Yeah, I think, it, yes, it is absolutely heartbreaking, I think. You know, um, I think parenthood is really tough. Um, one of the things that I've um, given a lot of thought to is this idea of codependence, and I, I think um, that it's when you take responsibility for someone else's actions, and, for the, and and try to buffer them from the consequences of their actions. And I think that there can be really good reasons to do that because of like your child, they need protection or or or, or whatever. Or um, you know, in my case, because there was a divorce, I always had some. Even though I tried to handle it well and stuff, I, I still think there's some kind of residual guilt. Like, hey, it's tough to be part of a broken family kind of thing. Um, I don't even know if people use that term anymore, broken family, <laughs> just different family. Um, but um, so I think that that's, you know, it's, it just comes down to self-care, you know. And, and for me, what was ultimately the most liberating, I learned this um, thing called the meridian tapping technique, which is related to EFT. And... Um, you know, there there are certain things that, that trigger us, like thoughts that are not acceptable, that then will, like, do anything to prove that that isn't so. And mm. the one that really freed me up, when I, that made a big difference, was when I was doing this tapping technique around the thought, even though I'm not okay with failing as a parent. Mm. And that doesn't mean that I failed. There's no judgment whether I failed or didn't fail. It just kind of, that part doesn't matter for this purpose. It matters that that thought couldn't produce this experience of anxiety in my body. Right. Like it broke that link. And and so then, you know, it then because the thing is, if we're in a codependent situation, we can't be okay if they're not okay. Right. And so then it makes us like, um, maybe interfere in ways that we shouldn't because we're afraid they're going to get in a situation where they won't be okay. And if they do that, we won't be okay. And so we want to prevent that. Yep. So, so it, what, what starts out being, you know, really um, benevolent and protective is at some level self-serving and we're caught in this double bind. So, um, so it's really important to find out what triggers us and and find ways to be okay no matter what they do, 
which doesn't mean that we don't care, but it just means that we can make good judgments because we're not desperate. Yes. Yeah, I think that's such a key that you've, I mean, totally, um, I, I had the similar experience with my parents is that I wanted so much for them to be healthy and happy and, and yet I was so attached to them you know, if they did make like, like you know, my dad would literally be in my presence and do things he he knew he wasn't supposed to do. It's like a test to see: Are you going to still love me? You know, are you going to judge me? You know, and I was like, really? <laughs> you don't eat sugar at any other time until when I visit, and because you know that I'm a doctor and you're diabetic and you're just going to taste and do sugar when I'm there. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> so I was so before so attached to my 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 sister my brother my mom and dad like eating a certain way or doing certain things and it just drove them crazy and drove me crazy and we were so codependent with each other because if they weren't happy I wasn't happy if I wasn't happy they were anyway so finally when I let that go um, it was so freeing and I just thought you know what I'm just gonna keep working on me <laughs> and our relationship got so much better <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I because I'm not a parent uh, that I, you know, I can only say from my experience with with my parents, but I can imagine that as as a parent, that that's that's one of the biggest challenges parents have is really being there for their child, but also letting go and letting their child make mistakes, if you know, quote unquote mistakes, yeah. or or have choices that we wouldn't choose for them. Yeah, yeah, and not rescuing them and not trying to prevent them from experiencing, because then they just resist. Right. You know, like, I've, I've thought of the, the analogy of, um, you know, like, if you're, like, belaying someone on a climbing wall, um, it could be that you're just pulling them up the wall. Mm, right, you know, right, right. Letting them do it. And it's fine, you know, to have a safety net like up to a point but at some point if there are no consequences they're just because they want to feel consequences you know it's going to treat your safety net like a trampoline you know like pu just pushing how far can I go how far can I go and and uh, I let it go pretty far and I would just kind of put that out there that maybe if you start earlier it might be less painful and they can exp experience their own less intense consequences. Mm, I see. Yeah. I, I, I mean, people, when they have their kids and I totally can understand it, they, they want to be the perfect parent, but that, that animal doesn't exist. <laughs> There's no such thing <laughs> as the perfect parent. I don't think we can prevent our children from feeling pain or disappointment. And that's not even our role. No, but it sort of hurts to want to try really hard. Sure, sure. What would you say, if you're willing to share, what, what would have been for your son, like, and you, the most, I would say, the most painful thing that you've had to go through, and then how did you, how did you come out the other side? Well, um, he was um, really pushing the levels of his own consciousness um, and he um, he went through a kind of a, a, a breakdown he um, was trying to do a, like an entity clearing for someone and and ended up with that on him so mm -hmm. to speak and um I, when I finally figured out what happened, I went to you for help, and um, that helped a lot, but because I didn't realize what was going on um, for a while, um, I think he saw, he lived looking he lived under the influence of that and experiencing our relationship through that lens for mm. for a, quite a while. And because I couldn't rescue him, um, also where I always had been able to before, he felt abandoned. And he's just starting to communicate with me again a little now. But it's been um, 
like four years, you know, and, and we used to be um, very close, but I also think that maybe this is just part of a necessary individuation process and for someone to have um, held the safety net as tightly as I did, um, it's hard to do that halfway and right. um, so maybe, maybe that's for the best and and I guess the main way to get through that is to just have some trust in the universe that I'm not in control of that. And then the other thing is that I, using Tolpican, can still do regular clearings on him and his environment and his friends, even though if I don't know what, who they are, I can still do, you know, blanket intention. Um, and so... Um, so I feel that I'm still able um, to support him, and I'm not, but I don't have to be, you know, involved in the day-to-day. -day. But also, I kind of go back and forth. Um, you know, sometimes I'm pretty mad at him, thinking that, you know, like I worked really hard and, and didn't deserve this. Yeah, yeah. So then I have to work with my own thoughts, because I don't want to, you know, um, entertain that vibe mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so then I you know go back to other tools like Ho'oponopono or you know neurovascular holder whatever I can do whenever I catch myself you know um kind of reciting in my mind like that I'm pissed or or like whatever the the self-talk is I catch myself and and, and get out of it and so for the most part, I am in a position of gratitude because a job that I had that was so incredibly consuming is clearly not my job right now. And, <laughs> and I didn't, you know, I don't have to feel that like I should take it up again or something because it's really not an option. It's that that that's his choice wasn't mine. That that makes it easier. So on the one hand, if I start to be mad at him, I have to remind myself that this works for me. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. And and I'm just so appreciative of you being. You know, the, thank you for the vulnerable share. And it's so so helpful. Um, I think that many of us have like a myth in our minds about how uh, a mother son or parent child relationship should look. Um, and when it doesn't look like the Hallmark card, we can get into blame and shame and guilt and all sorts of things. And what you're really demonstrating is your day-to-day -day process of, hey, yeah, sometimes I do get pissed. Like sometimes these thoughts come up and I get pissed about like all this work that I put in, all this like all this time and energy and research and, and you know, and, and he's not grateful for that, you know, in this, in this moment, I'm pissed, right? And then you go, okay, wait a second, uh, do I choose to continue this? And you decide, well, no, I'm, I'm choosing to shift it. And then you take that responsibility and you use your tools and you shift yourself without any attachment to the outcome that it has to look a certain way. I think that is so helpful, so freeing to, I mean, if even 1% of parents, and I'm talking about parents of sensitive children, just 1% of parents are able to do that, our world would be so transformed. That's my belief. So thank you for that beautiful, uh, beautiful example. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> now I know that you, um, have written a couple of books. I'm just curious if, uh, did you write the books um, with the thought of, hey, I want to help a bunch of people or like, you know, first of all, what are your books called? What's in them? And, and uh, you know, why did you write them? Okay. Well, the first one is called A Manual for Living Your Own Life. And I wrote it about seven years ago. Um, I had Lyme disease and I didn't know what it was. And I pursued alternative methods for healing it. Um, and I, I learned a lot of things, and I thought, um, I wish I had learned this stuff when I was 15. And um, my, my process of writing books is basically I wake up in the morning, like at 3.30 or 4.30, and I've just got a bunch of thoughts, and I just get them down on paper, whatever. And, and usually it's in the form of a rant of sorts, <laughs> and, I, and I tone it down later. <laughs> And, and then when I've got enough rants, 
I put it together in a book, and then I'll find missing pieces and tie it together and, and you know, and just kind of have it in my mind that, oh, I should do something with that, and eventually it'll come to me. So I have no discipline as a writer. I, it, it just comes, you know, and so that first one I put together because I was, as I was discovering these things, people, I would have these conversations with people, I can't believe I didn't know this. Why don't they teach this in school? There should be a manual for being human. And people would say, well, maybe you should write it. Right, well, like, yeah. No, 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 I'm not a writer. And then eventually I just wrote it. And then, um, so that, the first one is stuff I wish I knew when I was 15. I mm. thought maybe it would be a good graduation present or something. It's, it's, mm. it's more basic stuff. And then the second one, I just finished um, a couple days ago, actually. It's called uh, Freedom to Change. I'm just, I, um, just putting it on um, Kindle, uh, not just Kindle, but on Amazon. I'm finishing my cover design and stuff. Um, and that one is more of, of these um, self-care tools for adults, you know, like uh, for people who are already on the journey. Like I was originally going to call it um, becoming the change because there's this thought, you know, become the change you want to see in the world. And then my thought was like, well, how are we supposed to do that? Try harder, you know? <laughs> I, I'm, I think a lot of people are already maxed out. Yeah. You know, we can't try harder. So it's just a matter of like, are there some ways that this can be easier? Yeah. So as I as I, you know, gathered those tools together and and that's like my if I have a superpower it's to synthesize things. You know, cuz everybody has these tools aren't original, but everybody has their own little arena and they present it as though it's the answer to everything. Mm. But actually, it works for certain things, and then it can be supported by something from another thing. You know, so I bring all that together, and because I've been a teacher for 20 years, I can explain it clearly. So, so that's, that's they're really, you know, simple explanations of, well, here's a tool, and here's how you use it, and here's where it might work. Okay. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's great. And the thing too is, I mean, we're in this world of quick, 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 fast, fast, fast. And, you know, maybe some people are patient enough to read my 416 page tome of a book. Um, but a lot of times they're not, you know, in that space. And what I really appreciate about what you've created is something that's like really practical, like really practical, really sustained, concise, um, useful. And um, like, and, and it's cool because I wasn't really sure, you know, like what you were doing in this second book. I mean, you sort of told me, but you know, I didn't really quite get it until now. Um, and uh, I think that's a really great idea that you had is like that first book might be a really good like how-to manual, you know, for young people. And graduation's coming, <laughs> so this might be, you know, a, a nice present, uh, you know, for for young people. And then. Uh, and then we keep evolving, and so in your next book, it's uh, another, you know, another level. That's exciting. That's really exciting. I didn't intend to write another book until I, you know, had had a collection of rants. <laughs> well, and that's that's another thing that I really appreciate about you too, Johanna, is like. Everyone goes through stuff, right? I mean, like all of us go through stuff. All of us go through challenges, and and I I know, you know, given you know our work together and and with your son, that that there are some very very, you know, specific and rare challenges, you know, that you've had to go through, and yet, um, you could have chosen to be in a place of victimhood or a place of blame or shame or guilt or whatever, and and maybe that was temporary, you know, we all go through that, but you chose something different. You chose to go, well, how, how do I, you know, what do I do now, right? How do I empower myself? How do I empower, you know, my, my child? Uh, how do, and, and then you just kind of just channeled that. You just did it and, and without necessarily questioning it, without trying to be perfect at it. And a lot of people never get that wisdom out because they're locked in that place of victimhood. And so I just want to you know, kudos to you and appreciate you for being willing to really listen to spirit and evolve and just, you know, 
it started as a rant and now it's out and now it's here to potentially help others and it's not necessarily just parents you know of, of sensitive children but just you know people on the path so yeah congrats that's awesome you know what one thing I, I want to mention is that um, you know I think could be really helpful to people because I think I mentioned it earlier that I think one of the things I accomplished was keeping my son out of the mental health system. Oh, right. Yeah. Let's talk about that. That, um, and that was, you know, ultimately the gluten sugar kind of thing. But now, um, now Kelly Brogan's out there with all her stuff, um, you know, a mind of your own, um, owning yourself and her whole, um, I haven't participated in her um, vital life, vital mind reset, program. vital mind reset. Yes, because because I am not in that position myself. Right, you don't need it. <laughs> but, but back in the day, it would have been great. And and anybody who is even talking about pharmaceuticals and stuff, I was, I had to push back without really having any ammunition. Right. Right. But Kelly's done all that work, and and she's an MD, and she specialized in that. She has all this um, weight of experience that. Um, so now, someone in that position, if, if they're even considering medicating their child, I would really say read those books first, mm -hmm. because because they can cause permanent change. And for me, that would have been a huge regret. Yeah. If I had gone that road, just as it would have been a huge regret if I had taken antibiotics for my Lyme disease, because I'm all better. Wow. So you didn't take any of that? Nope. I didn't wow. even know what it was. I just, I, I just had a couple of assumptions. Like, well, I was doing internet research, and it could have been any kind of autoimmune thing, you know. But the treatments for them were pretty much the same, like de-stress detox and eat well and so that's what I did and and you know I had like I went to see body workers I went to chiropractors you know naturopaths and and things like that it was before I met you um, I got all the metal fillings out of my teeth um, and I didn't even know what it was until I was like 85% better mm. And by that time, I knew I was on a good path. And then, um, what was my point here? Um, I don't know. I lost it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you, you had that, um, you, you know, you, you cured yourself of Lyme, and you're so happy that you didn't do the whole drug oh, yeah. route, right, for yourself right. and then for your right. son. Right, because with the, with the Lyme, if I had gone the antibiotic route, I would have um, potentially damaged my immune system. So then if I got bitten by a tick again, I'd have a weakened immune system. Mm. But what I have, I believe, is a stronger immune system yeah, that yeah. knows how to work with that and, you know, then with whatever else might come my way, which right now we have this lovely COVID thing, which I am glad I don't have a compromised immune system for. That's right. That's right. Well, so, I think it takes a lot of courage uh, to, to go against the grain, which is what you've had to do, um, forging your way through. There's, there's, like you said, with Kelly Brogan's work and just so much more support and data right now and having an MD in your back pocket going, hey, read this book, right? Like you don't feel like a crazy person, whereas yeah. Or yeah, in the past you didn't have that support. Yeah, the thing that people will tell you, not is that you're crazy, but that you're being irresponsible. Oh, yeah, that's even worse. It really is. Yeah. Because, and you know, with, with, for myself, even just with the Lyme disease thing, people would ask me, well, what does the doctor say? Because it yep. was really extreme. And I would say, I'm not going that route. And they were like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, almost how dare you? Yes. How and irresponsible like, of you. You're a mom. Like, how could you do this? I know. And then oh the thing gosh. is, wait, this is, I'm, I'm taking responsibility. I'm not, like, advocating it. But it's yeah. the Yep. Oh, my sister went through the same thing. Uh, I don't know if you recall the H1N1 scare, didn't get to a yep. pandemic level. But I got pretty suspicious uh, at some point because one of my colleagues, I was asking, hey, so, you know, what's going on? You like, this is supposed to be a big public health thing. So, like, you guys got testing everyone or, or what, what? And she's like, no. 
I said, what do you know? I said, this is a public health thing. So, I mean, I know with STDs, for example, if you get tested positive chlamydia, they bang down your door to make sure that you get treated and all your partners. Okay, it's that strict. And I'm like, oh, wait, H1N1, H1N1 is going to kill people, but you guys aren't tracking it? She's like, no, we're not. I'm like, that is crazy. How can you say this is like so bad and like pushing this vaccine, not her, but you know, the, the government, whatever, is pushing yeah. this vaccine and you're not tracking? How could you not track and make actual diagnoses? So at that point, I got really suspicious. And my sister ends up, you know, calling me. She's like, look, I'm kind of in a bind because my, the other moms in my mom's group is, is telling me I should vaccinate the kids. But I thought I would ask you first. So I got some data, you know, together and some, you know, I found a YouTube video of this, this woman who was reporting how they had found tainted vaccine in Czechoslovakia and it had been rerouted there by accident. And they actually have the, um, can't remember which side it was, Czech or Slovakia. Anyway, um, they, they actually opened the package and tested it. But the other, where it was supposed to go, they don't do that. But they happened to be rerouted. <laughs> Bayer had the, uh, this, this pile of vaccines, and they found that it was tainted with an infectious agent. So, of course, they banned the whole thing, right? So she's reporting on this. Of course, it was not in the mainstream news. Yeah. So I just, I just emailed her some information. I said, look, you're a parent. You know, you have to make your own decisions. Um, for me, I don't recommend that. I mean, there's all these other things you can do to support the immune system, yada, yada. So I didn't hear back from her. I didn't know what she decided. She was getting major pressure, and that was what you were saying. They were telling her she was irresponsible as a mom to not get her children vaccinated. There was all this peer pressure, which I think if you're part of the industrial pharmacology agricultural complex, this is brilliant marketing oh, because yeah. you don't push it. You get the moms to push it. You get somebody else. Exactly. To push it, and I eventually I did ask her years later. I said, "By the way, did you ever get the kids vaccinated?" She goes, "No." I said, "Well, why not?" I'm just curious, and she said, "Honestly, because I couldn't be bothered." <laughs> so she just it just it came and went, and and you know, yeah, she had to put up with the your irresponsible mom kind of thing uh, for a short period of time, but she just never bothered. She was too busy, and the kids were fine. The kids were absolutely fine, and I was like, "Thank you, God. <laughs> Thank you, God." Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. just the information that you gave her, it became controversial, so it took some of the energy out of it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm just, I'm just thrilled she even asked. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I know in the past, I mean, uh, you know, family members don't like to be told uh, as adults don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> uh, I made the mistake one time, Johanna, you're going to laugh. I, uh, my, my niece, I, I saw her take this big tub of basal margarine out. And, uh, and I said, why are you eating that? And I, it just popped out of my mouth. I couldn't help myself. And I was like, Oh shoot. Right. And she got defensive. She said, I don't like to be judged. And I said, I, I, I swallowed my pride a little bit. And I said, I apologize. You're absolutely right. I'm not your health care provider. She's like, nope. And I said, I'm not your coach. Nope. I'm your aunt. And I love you. And you didn't ask for my advice, so I apologize. And she's like, okay. You know, it was all good. It was all good. Our relationship was fine. You know, but it was like that thing. It's like, blah. Um, I'm sure you've probably had instances where it's, it's almost difficult to shut up in places where, you know, people don't want help, so to speak. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Harder with family members, I tell often. Uh, I, tell, I say that often to my, my clients. And it's so funny because people can, you know, hire me, a coach, whatever, and, you know, for, for you know, good value, like a, a lot of money, right? Because they, they want the shift. They want the change. They want magical things to happen. Uh, and yet sometimes our own family members who are the closest to us aren't into that stuff. And I think for you and me, we've actually found out that we just got to let go. We just got to love them, right? Just like, yep. oh, sometimes it's not our role to fix them or even to, you know. I mean, you did your, your piece as, as your child was growing up until that place where he's now an adult. Um, and then you can just, you know, be there and, and not control him, <laughs> which is the codependent thing. Yep. Well, it's, it's a lot easier when you believe that someone's making an informed decision and, and one of the things that I really um, was able to fall back on with my son is he, we would have these discussions where he wanted to explore, like, the limits of his consciousness. Right. And I 
said, you know, you could end up in an asylum. You know, and he said, I don't care. It's worth wow. it. You know, and so when it looked really bad, I was able to remember that that was his choice. And it was a conscious choice. And he was um, mid-20s mm. at that point. You know, it wasn't like a 12-year-old. So, uh, you know, those, those things were helpful. And, and um, well, and, and the thing is, is it's, you know, time has passed and he did not end up in an asylum. Phew. No, <laughs> I know. It was a fine line. It was a fine line. But he, he, he got to a really good place. And he, yeah. he's doing fine. I don't know what he's doing with his um, particular gifts at this point, but he, I know that he has access to them if he wants to. Mm. So, you know, right now he's, he's working as a carpenter and, you know, having a very grounded life. I was and, saying um, very grounded. Yeah, that's, that and, sounds and good. That's good. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, Johanna, it's been so great to interview you today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I think that, you know, parents worldwide, especially those with highly sensitive people, are really going to get a lot of um, um, not just, you know, that, that sense of, oh, okay, <laughs> like, I feel like I, I, I have some support, you know, and just to hear from a, a real mom in a real situation with a really very highly sensitive child you know, what you went through and, and coming out the other side. And, you know, I, I think it's just so valuable. Um, so thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to help. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I hope it is helpful. Oh, I oh, it absolutely is. And, and just uh, so folks know, uh, if they were interested in your two books, can you just please say the name again and then where they can find it? Okay. Yes. The first one is A Manual for Living Your Own Life. And um, that's on Amazon, but it's hard to find because I've never had an order on that one from Amazon. <laughs> uh, so, so you can email me directly for that at Johanna underscore Messer at Yahoo.com. But I'm just, um, the, the new one I'm actually publishing using the whole Kindle thing. So I'm publishing it mm. on for Kindle and as a paperback, but through the same um, app. Right. Yeah, that's so great. Those will just be easy to find on Amazon. The second one's called um, Freedom to Change. Apparently, there are two other books that have the same title, but it will be obvious which one's mine. So I'm Johanna Messer, so you can, um, okay. you can find it that way. Great. That's awesome. I, I did see it today, um, and uh, it's a, it, there's a picture of you doing this little spiral thing on, like, a edge of a mountain or something, right? Oh, Are you using that, that? It's at the Black Canyon of the Gunnison. I'm leaning against a railing looking over this canyon, which is <laughs> super narrow and deep, but it's this idea of, of freedom. Mm, cool. Very cool. Great. Um, and uh, before we go, um, if you were to give like one like kind of take-home message, piece of advice for parents with highly sensitive children of any age, what, what, would, you, yeah, what would you say? Well, I'd say be kind to yourself. It's mm. along the lines of that um, thing about put the oxygen mask on yourself first. When they, what they say on airplanes, that this is really hard. So it, don't underestimate how hard it is and take really good care of yourself and be kind to yourself. Mm, I agree 100%. Wonderful advice. Thank you again, Johanna, and thanks to all of our listeners listening in today. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Right.